You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the private label lawyer. In today's episode, I'm going to dig into what's called the spectrum of distinctiveness, which is a sliding scale of protectability, ranging from generic or impossible to protect trademarks to suggestive and coined trademarks, which are considered to be really strong. And in fact, when I say generic, those are just terms that are never eligible for trademark protection. So it's a bit incorrect to even associate the word trademark with generic. Keep in mind that the more distinctive and unique your trademark or your brand name, the easier it is to claim and be granted exclusive trademark rights. I'll often use trademark and brand name interchangeably, but when I do, they're basically the same. Better yet, the more distinctive and unique your trademark or brand name, the more likely that it will be worthy of aggressive enforcement. Always keep in mind that trademark value should increase over time, and you need to work to increase that value over time. Getting your registration is not a one-and-done deal. There's a lot more work to it. One way to really increase that value in your trademark is to monitor for possible conflicts and enforce your rights when necessary. So, y'all ready? Let's dig in. Your trademark is really the most valuable and memorable part of your overall brand structure. It's really that anchor, it's that source indicator from your products. So that when people see your products, they think about your company. Taking the time to select a strong trademark that will actually go on your product and or packaging is absolutely essential. So I always say that while fidget spinners and garlic presses rust away, your trademark will last a lifetime, if not longer, as long as you take the steps to protect it. So what makes a trademark strong. So as I stated in the intro, United States trademark law recognizes this spectrum of distinctiveness, which is that sliding scale of protectability ranging from generic to coined. So the more distinctive and unique your trademark, the easier it is to claim and be granted exclusive trademark rights. So let's talk about generic terms. This is what is considered to be the weakest type of trademark or a generic name. And again, I hate saying the word trademark, even in association with the term generic. But a lot of people do try to trademark generic terms. What is a generic term? So it's basically just the common name of a product. 
generic term is not capable of serving that vital function of distinguishing the products of your business from the products of another business. And therefore, it cannot ever be afforded any legal protection. So as an example, the term salt could not be protected when used in connection with sodium chloride. Generic terms are generally so bad from a legal and marketing perspective that most people just inherently know that they're not really good trademark names. Now, there are exceptions, and I've had people propose generic terms to me in an effort to try to trademark them. And of course, I tell them those are not eligible for registration. So just keep in mind that generic terms are just not in the realm of possibility to serve as a trademark. So let's just move on. So let's talk about descriptive terms. Now, this is sort of a step up from that generic term. Generic terms describe a quality, characteristic, or ingredient of an underlying product. A descriptive mark consists of words or phrases with dictionary meanings used in connection with products directly related to that meaning. So you're probably wondering, what the heck is the difference between a generic and a descriptive term? So there's actually a pretty fine line there. Descriptive terms are generally not registrable with the USPTO unless it can be proven that distinctiveness has been acquired through long-term use of that trademark in association with those goods in the marketplace. An example would be the Honey Baked Ham Company. The trademark name is certainly descriptive or seemingly descriptive for, what, a company that sells what, how do you bake tans? <laughs> However, this company has been around since 1957, and it's worked very hard to build distinctiveness in that term, the honey baked ham company, over time. So there's a very good chance that when I mentioned the honey baked ham company, if you live in the United States, you would have really immediately thought about that store or that business, a specific one that sells those honey-baked hams that are so popular around the holidays especially. But if you're just now starting on your brand name selection journey, that exception of acquired distinctiveness that has applied to the honey-baked ham company wouldn't necessarily apply to you. So I have to really strongly discourage you from pursuing a descriptive trademark. You know, if you're just starting out, not only are descriptive trademarks a bad choice from the marketing perspective, they're really difficult to get registered with the USPTO. And you're going to end up spending a load of money trying to build strength in the term over time, sort of like what Honey Baked Ham Company has been doing. And you might just end up throwing money into a black hole. So people who are just starting out with creating a name, unfortunately tend to fall into that descriptive brand name trap because they immediately want to let customers know what they're selling, but don't fall into this trap. You will be sorry. You're going to end up with a trademark that's going to drown in a sea of competitors And you're going to have little to no grounds for enforcement of that trademark. And what did I say at the beginning? You have to monitor and enforce your trademark rights in order to continue to grow value in the mark over time. 
So let's move along this sliding scale of protectability and talk about arbitrary trademarks. Now, arbitrary terms are a little bit stronger than generic terms. So what, what are arbitrary marks? These consist of real words that you would find in a dictionary, but the word has no connection to the underlying goods. These are marks that are just found at the exclamation point. You just happen to come across them. They're words that existed before brands started using them. I apologize for a little jingle in the background. My little dog Sadie is in the office with me today, so apologize for the little <laughs> the little jingle going on. But here are a few examples of arbitrary trademarks. Apple for computers. Yahoo for an online news site. Caterpillar for heavy equipment. Penguin for books. And for cigarettes, camel might ring a bell. So how do you come up with arbitrary trademarks? Now, again, these are not really created. These are terms that are found. So what you could do, if you consider your goods, you could be thinking about them. You could close your eyes, say a little mantra, open up your closest dictionary, and point to a word, and boom, there you have your arbitrary trademark. Congratulations. Arbitrary trademarks can be highly memorable, and they're not tied to a single type of product. So it would be easier to expand your underlying products outside of your originally selected product niche. So keep that in mind about these arbitrary marks. That's one reason they can kind of work. If you think that your private label products might expand across several niches, and this might be a good type of mark to consider from sort of that budgeting perspective. Furthermore, it's really easy to get these types of trademarks registered. I shouldn't say really easy. It's easier than a descriptive mark. And that's because what would be the odds that someone is using that trademark for related goods to yours? However, keep in mind that there are a lot of trademarks that must be navigated at the USPTO. So make sure that you always do at least a quick and dirty search before you proceed with an arbitrary mark. Another good thing about arbitrary marks is that they are easier to enforce after you get them registered. However, there are some drawbacks if you go down the road of selecting an arbitrary marks. They can be a bit risky because they do consist of real dictionary words. And like I mentioned, over the years, these arbitrary marks are becoming harder to get registered with the USPTO because there's just so many trademarks out there. The USPTO rejects many of these types of marks on a likelihood of confusion basis very generously these days. I'm seeing a lot more rejections for arbitrary trademarks. So, for example, think of the Delta airline brand coexisting with Delta Faucets brand, which also coexists with Delta Dental Insurance. And a quick search with the USPTO reveals over a thousand trademarks that include the element Delta. 
So while it seems like a strong trademark for an airline company, the element Delta is actually pretty weak. Furthermore, as a private label seller, you must proactively educate the market as to the underlying products you're selling because it won't be obvious when you first or when people first look at that trademark. Regardless, arbitrary marks should definitely be considered for any brand name search or creation endeavor. It's we always consider arbitrary marks when we're creating brand names because they can actually be a lot of fun, especially when you come across a really random, unusual dictionary word. When it comes to developing brand names on your own, finding these real words can actually be a pretty good option because there really are so many great words that are not commonly used. So kind of just think of yourself as an explorer constantly on the lookout for cool words and phrases that you could use with your products in an interesting way. Easy to find words are usually hard to acquire, and you may learn that they're already frequently used for a brand, such as Delta. But can you use the words you encounter in interesting new ways? Always be on the lookout. So while the word Starbucks, just as as an example, it's not found in the dictionary, but it's not coined either. It was actually the name of the first mate of the whale ship from Herman Melville's classic novel, Moby Dick. So look off the beaten path always, like old magazines and books and dictionaries. Read stories and myths and history. You might find some really obscure terms from music or the trades and science and culture. Don't be afraid to look under some rocks. Get lost researching. With naming, getting lost is one of the best ways to end up with a brand name that will get you found and remembered. So now let's talk about suggestive trademarks and one of my favorites, portmanteaus. I talk about these all the time. So these are a little bit further up on that sliding scale of distinctiveness. So let's talk about suggestive trademarks. These types of marks tend to indicate the nature the quality or characteristic of the product in relation to which it's used, but it does not describe the products. In other words, suggestive marks allude, and that's A-L-L-U-D-E, to the underlying goods, but it does not describe them. Suggestive trademarks require a person to use some imagination or multi-step reasoning process in order to understand that the mark describes some quality or aspect of the product. So as an okay example, don't judge me, think about the name Amazon. The name suggests to me something enormous. And in fact, Jeff Bezos chose the name allegedly because to him, the term Amazon conjures up images of one of the world's largest rivers, right? And he had said multiple times, he wanted to create the world's largest online store. Well, consider it done. So here are some more examples of suggestive trademarks. Facebook for a social networking site. Copper tone for tanning lotion. Greyhound for a bus um, transportation service. And the term greyhound to me alludes to something sleek and fast. 
Kickstarter for crowdfunding, Fitbit, which is an activity tracker, Kryptonite, something strong, and that's for bike locks. Also another one, Brawny for paper towels. What about Dove soap? What do you think about when you hear the word Dove in its relation to soap? Remember, it doesn't allude to the characteristic or quality or ingredient of the soap, but it makes us think of something soft and gentle. Jaguar car, aggressive and beautiful. So suggestive marks can really be real words like Amazon or created words. And in my opinion, and as someone who really digs into this brand name creation field, the best trademarks or brand names are the ones that are created. And my goal is to really teach people how to do this. So one way that trademarks can be created is to consider portmanteaus. Now, this word alone seems a little crazy, right? And with my Southern accent, it probably seems a little crazier. (laughs) But a portmanteau is a made-up word whose form and meaning are derived from a blending of two underlying words that might relate in some way to the underlying product. We use these terms more than you might even realize these days, and there's a very good chance that you've used one already today. So as an example, some common terms, these are common terms, not trademarks, but just examples of portmanteaus and common use. Spork, and that is that combination of the fork and the spoon. We say smog, smoke, and fog. Anyone ready for brunch, which is sort of that time where we eat that's a little bit breakfast and a little bit lunch. We kind of get our mimosas on at that point. How about Labradoodle? Such a beautiful and precious dog. The Labrador and the Poodle. And a really popular one these days, Brexit. Britain and Exit. So portmanteaus can be a lot of fun in the trademark sense when you create a totally new word. If you come up with a portmanteau, make sure you do a dictionary check to make sure that the term isn't actually already commonly used, like some of the ones I just mentioned, like spork, smog, brunch, labradoodle, Brexit. But I have a few portmanteaus that might inspire you as examples. So what are my absolute, there's actually a couple here that are my absolute favorites. Strawsome. Strawsome is a company that makes glass straws. They are awesome. So please check them out. And I'm not affiliated with them and they are not a client. But this is, I love what they're doing. And I think that they did a great job on brand name select creation and with their branding. And so that's with the word straw and awesome. So we have strawsome. Another fun one is pepperoni for dog treats. And that's the word puppy and pepperoni. And again, that's a mark that really alludes to what that underlying product is. Plenty Oxidant. That is a cosmetic company. And that's taking the words plant and antioxidant. Groupon. Online coupons, which is a combination of the term group and coupon. Chillo for a cooling pillow. 
chilled or chill plus the word pillow. I think that one's fun to say. Another fun one, <laughs> Viagra. So allegedly, this one was named, was a combination of the terms vigorous and Niagara. So that's kind of funny. Travelocity. Travel and velocity. So I consider portmanteaus the sweet spot of the sweet spot. So suggestive marks really are a sweet spot when it comes to selecting a mark that's really strong from both the legal and the marketing perspective. Portmanteaus are the sweet spot of that sweet spot. Some of the pros, they are fantastic (laughs) from both a marketing and legal perspective. They're excellent because while they're made up words, they can still suggest something about the underlying products. So sometimes we call them suggestive coined brand names. I love them. They're so much fun. So let's slide along the scale into learning a little more about coined trademarks. Coined marks are at the highest end of the distinctiveness scale, but don't let that confuse you. Coined marks are really great generally from a legal perspective, but they're not as great from a marketing perspective. And I'm going to talk about why. Coined terms or coined trademarks are those that appear to be completely contrived and they don't necessarily allude to anything about the product. So that's kind of where it's not so great from a marketing perspective. So some examples of coined marks. Skype, Google, Kodak, Jacuzzi, Exxon, Xerox, Spotify. Now, the cool thing about coin marks is that they are super unique and generally they're easy to get registered with the USPTO. They're likely to appear in searches. If someone's typing your brand name online, it's very likely that you're going to pop up. It's easier to grab those domain names. They're fun and they're interesting. They're interesting and they do deserve a broad scope of protection from that legal perspective. However, these marks can be hard to pronounce. Consumers often don't know what the product is that's being sold. So a substantial amount of marketing effort may be required to educate consumers about the product. They may also lack that emotional connection with consumers that you want to work really hard to develop. So let's talk about the word Verizon. So allegedly, it's a mash or a portmanteau of the term veritas, which is truth in Latin, and horizon. So even if you believe in subliminal messaging, it's really unlikely that you're going to see the word Verizon and think, Oh, cool. Look, there's truth on the horizon. (laughs) So another example of sort of a weird coined term would be vongle. Does anyone know what the hell a vongle is? The term is completely made up and it has no dictionary definition. So what do I recommend as an experienced trademark attorney and brand name creation strategist? Although coin marks are considered to be the strongest from the legal perspective because they're unique and distinctive and protectable, potential consumers must be educated about the product being sold. 
I really suggest that business owners work to manifest a mark that falls into that suggestive slash portmanteau category. Remember the sweet spot of the sweet spot. These trademarks are strong from the legal perspective and the marketing perspective. They really create that emotional connection I've found with consumers. Obviously, y'all have seen how much I love pepperoni and strawsim. So those suggestive marks, they can immediately function as source identifiers because they're inherently distinctive, and they can still suggest a little bit about the product being sold. So I want to share with you a few little fun ideas to help you manifest a really great brand name. Now, these are just suggestions. You can use an online random name generator to get those creative juices flowing. You can also use a slang book and flip through the pages and stick some terms together. Squish your son and dog's names together. Throw some Scrabble pieces out. Now, these last few suggestions are really good for creating coined terms. But again, please, please, please consider the sweet spot of the sweet spot, those portmanteaus. But whatever you do, just make sure you have a lot of fun when creating brand names. It is my absolute favorite part of what I do. Now, if you want to learn more about trademark creation and filing enforcement, make sure you visit my website. And I'm also rolling out the Trademark Trailblazer, which is the brand name creation blueprint. So I'm really excited about that. And it's the guide that I use as a proprietary guide to help you go through the process of brainstorming and really creating that awesome brand name that will hopefully grow in value over time. And that's what we all want. So really, that's all for today's episode. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you loved it, and I hope you found it of value. So I'm really excited about next week's episode. And it's actually the first in a two-part interview series where I talk with Andy Hooper all about expanding your business into the EU. Andy is the CEO of Global E-Commerce Experts. And one thing I loved about this interview is that you can tell from Andy and his energy that he loves what he does. And he's so passionate about helping sellers expanding into the EU market. And he's so passionate that he really uses his hands a lot when he's, when he's talking and he's a, he's a gesturer, if that's a word, but he, yeah, just, maybe I just made up a word. He, he likes to gesture. And at one point he knocked his mic into the mute mode. And so it's absolutely hilarious, but we will um, edit that next week so that there's not like, you know, 15 seconds of dead air, but it's actually really funny. And I just think that I wanted to share the story with you all because it's kind of a testament to how much Andy loves what he does. And I really love working people who are also passionate about what they do um, in the online space, no matter what area they're in. So you do not want to miss next week's interview. Again, it's part one of two, and the second one will be the week after. So everyone, I will see you next week. And remember, never stop learning. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. 
Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur, and thankfully, like us, the laws are ever-evolving.